This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, fighting against ageism in the workplace and the marketplace. Find out more at carp.ca. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. The Toronto International Film Festival begins its 48th season amid a strike and sponsorship cancellations and an outpouring of support for the Prime Minister after he announces his separation from Sophie Gregoire, his wife of 18 years. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. As Chile heads towards the 50th anniversary of the coup that toppled one of Latin America's most stable democracies and installed the 17-year dictatorship that imprisoned, tortured, and killed thousands of its opponents, the country has enacted a national search plan to track down the remaining disappeared. The measure marks the first time since the end of the Pinochet regime that the Chilean government has tried to find those who went missing, an effort that until now has largely fallen to the surviving family members, mainly women, who protested, went on hunger strikes, and took their cases to court. U.S. authorities have announced the first 10 prescription drugs that will be subject to Medicare price negotiations under the Inflation Reduction Act, which is a critical step in the Biden administration's attempt to drive down the high cost of prescription drugs for older people. Until now, Medicare has been barred from negotiating drug costs, and that will change next year. The negotiated prices will go into effect in 2026, and some of the drugs include Eliquis, a blood thinner, and Genuvia, a diabetes drug. Britain's state-run National Health Service will be the first in the world to offer an injection that treats cancer for hundreds of patients in England and which could cut treatment times by up to three quarters. Following approval from the Medicines and Healthcare Products Regulatory Agency, the NHS in England said hundreds of eligible patients treated with this immunotherapy were set to have under-the-skin injections, which will free up more time for cancer teams. The therapy is currently delivered intravenously, and the injection is not yet approved in Canada. People ask me where I get my vitality, and to tell you the truth, I haven't got a clue. She is still revered for her eccentric and individual style, and this week, Iris Apfel turned 102. Apfel was born in 1921 in Queens, New York. Along with her late husband, she launched the textile firm Old World Weavers in 1950, and they ran it until they retired in 1992. In 2005, she showcased her large collection of clothing 
and accessories in an exhibit at the Metropolitan Museum of Art's Costume Institute. It was called Rara Avis, Rare Bird, the Irreverent Iris Apfel. Her decades-long career in fashion and design became the subject of a 2015 documentary simply called Iris, and in 2019, she signed a modeling contract with the global agency IMG at the age of 97. I'm Louise Nimer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. In its 48-year history, the Toronto International Film Festival has had to face the challenges of 9-11, SARS, and the pandemic, to name just a few. This year, there's a strike to contend with. I talked with TIFF CEO Cameron Bailey. Do you feel a little bit jinxed? I mean, no more than any of us. We've all lived through the pandemic. We're all living through all kinds of changes and, you know, shifts in, in things that are affecting us. So that's that's just normal. Um, we're almost 50 years old. We celebrate our 48th anniversary this September, and uh, we have lived through a lot. Um, the festival was taking place when 9-11 happened in September 2001. Uh, we lived through the SARS uh, crisis in Toronto and Ontario, um, the pandemic, of course, and many other things too. This is just, you know, something that we have to address, adapt to, and deal with. How is the festival going to be different? What is different is the festival is happening in the uh, midst of a, uh, a labor action, both from the Writers Guild in America and from the Actors uh, Union as well, SAG-AFTRA. And what that means is that some of the films that are from, let's say, the biggest entertainment companies uh, in Hollywood, the major Hollywood studios and major streaming companies, the actors from those films uh, would not be able to attend uh, during a strike. The directors and other people associated would, of course, but not the actors. In terms of our festival, though, the vast majority of the films, including the red carpet films, are not from these uh, companies. They're independently made, and those independent films can uh, take part in our festival with their cast as well, with their actors, if they get something called an interim agreement from the Actors Union, which most of them are uh, either have or are in the process of getting. So we think we'll have a great contingent, not just of the filmmakers and, of course, the films, but we will have uh, red carpets. We will have uh, many of those actors in town as well. Is it going to take away from the kind of glitz and glamour? I don't think so. I mean, it depends on what you're looking for, but, you know, if someone like Viggo Mortensen or Ethan Hawke uh, gets excited, you can expect to see them here. If the big Hong Kong star Andy Lau does, or if Salma Hayek does, or um, Sly Stallone, or Lil Nas X, or Paul Simon, if these are the kinds of artists who get you excited to have in your town and in person, they'll be at our festival. How will it affect the bottom line, you think? Well, hard to say. I would say in terms of box office, our actual ticket sales. We've been tracking uh, essentially where we would usually be in terms of uh, people buying tickets to the film. So that doesn't seem to have been affected in a significant way yet. Where we have seen uh, an impact is uh, when it comes to the uh, some of the corporate partnerships that are more red carpet driven or red carpet uh, dependent. And actually, you know, the, one of the things I am concerned about is not so much for TIFF, but for the ecosystem of people in the hospitality industry, uh, a lot of events, 
parties, people going out to dinner, uh, those kinds of things. Uh, there's a, a vast number, hundreds sometimes, of uh, smaller businesses, uh, small and medium-sized businesses who do a lot of business during the festival, and that will be affected to some degree as well. We think there'll still be lots of people out, and we're encouraging everyone to go and, you know, take in a great meal at a restaurant or go out for a drink with friends after a movie and talk it over. But we do know that, you know, even if one star is not coming this year because they're in one of those strike-affected films, that one star might have 20 or 30 people who would be attending with them to support their presence. And, and that, does, uh, that does add up. We also learned that Bell, a long, long time sponsor of yours, is going to be cutting that at the end of the year. That's right. Yes. Uh, we have been with Bell in collaboration for 28 years, uh, and it's been a great run. We've done some remarkable things together, including opening the building that I'm talking to you from right now, Tiff Bell Lightbox. Uh, but, you know, uh, a change like this does bring some new opportunities as well. There's a new landscape. The entertainment industry is con- entirely transformed from, from what it was 28 years ago. So we're looking for partners who are ready to step up in a big way and get the visibility that Bell did, uh, but for this new era. Just given the brand that uh, TIFF has established over our uh, 48 years, uh, I think there's a lot of interest in what we can do in terms of our reach, both uh, locally in Toronto, across Canada, and internationally as well, because in terms of cultural brands, we are one of Canada's best-known cultural brands. Okay, Cameron Bailey, thank you so much. Thank you, Libby. Appreciate it. That was TIFF CEO Cameron Bailey. I'm Libby Snymer, and this is the Zoomer Weekend Review. Coming up, an outpouring of warm wishes and support for the Prime Minister as he announces his separation from his wife of 18 years. What's behind it? You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, Canada's largest and most influential association fighting for the interests of Canadians as we age. Find out more at carp.ca. It's hardly the kind of announcement that you'd think would inspire warm wishes, support, and personal stories. But that was the reaction... Prime Minister Justin Trudeau got after he and his wife of 18 years announced their split. What is behind 21st century divorce? I reached psychologist Dr. Sam Claret. There are sensitive people, I mean, in the world. And um, some of them identify with politicians, some of them don't. Uh, Some of them value what politicians do for them and others don't. And probably the people who are sensitive and who care about the Trudeaus would wish them well. But to put a political spin on it, um, that's a hard sell. I don't know why people would do that, but that's politics. I mean, it seems that no matter what move you make or what step you take, there's always a political reason why you've done that, which I think is a real stretch. There was a time, and probably not that long ago, when a couple split up, uh, people who were actually friends of theirs sort of had to make a choice. Who are they going to stay friends with? With Does that exist anymore? Yeah. Um, certain couples really struggle to, f- uh, to sort of determine who they're going to align with. And can they still be friends with both? It's difficult. I mean, it shouldn't be, but it is difficult, but it still exists. Absolutely. I mean, there, there are many couples 
And they might say, okay, I mean, our best friends just broke up. What do we do as a couple? Who do we support? Who do we back? Who do we shy away from? And that's a tough call. Um, there are certain couples that say, well, let's try and connect with both of them and, the, and uh, say be available to both. But again, that um, uh, that's difficult to maneuver and it's difficult to manage because uh, if it's a bad breakup, usually the couple that's breaking up want friends, relatives, and so on to pick a side, and which is unfortunate, but but it often happens. Mm-hmm. And but are you seeing more where people are able to maintain relationships with both sides? Um, am I seeing more of that? No, not really. It's, um, they, most of the time, I think they usually side with one over the other. They're usually closer to one than they are the other. Um, I mean, as difficult as that may seem, it's, I mean, that's, that's often the case. They might like the husband more, might like the wife more. Um, and if, uh, if, if there's been an affair where, say, the husband's had an affair or, or, or wife had an affair, um, the couples will usually side with the victim. Uh, which, again, uh, I mean, they don't know the full story, obviously, what happened, but they often side with the victim. What about this whole idea? Um, the other thing that was I found a bit surprising was that the Trudeaus announced their separation. And they said, oh, but tomorrow morning we're going on holiday together. How common a thing is that? And how do you think that was received by people? It's, it is uncommon, but some couples can, can manage it. In fact, some couples get along better after they've separated and divorced than they were when they were married. And they're able to, um, to be at, um, at similar functions. They're able to sometimes, well, actually um, go on trips with their kids. Um, and how would, that be, uh, how would that be received? You like to believe that the public would say, well, uh, good for them. Uh, they're concerned about the kids. They still want to maintain a friendship. Is that possible? Um, in most cases, it isn't. But in some cases, it is. And it sets maybe a good example for what other couples might go through. It doesn't necessarily have to be a case where both are enemies because they're separating and divorcing. They can still uh, maintain some degree of um, a friendship. And again, if there's kids involved, I think that's very, very important. Do you think we'll see more and more of that? That's a good question. Uh, I'd like to believe that we would, but, uh, I mean, at this point, I don't see it yet. Uh-huh. I, I mean, it'd be nice, I mean, if more of that took place, because there's no reason why people have to so, uh, show such, uh, such animosity towards one another. But sometimes what happens in marriages, things get very unruly and very unhealthy and, um, and very dysfunctional, and therefore um, a friendship can't be maintained because it was so destructive. But in other cases where that isn't, uh, you know, where people have just outgrown one another, um, it might not be a bad idea to maintain a friendship, but still, um, it's not on the increase. It's still the old-fashioned approach, which is if we can't make it together, we're going to be apart, and that's that's it. And we'll stay in touch um, for the kids, but not in any significant way. Isn't it also a matter of time? Like people don't get along and there's, uh, you know, a break and it hurts. Uh, But after a certain amount of time, uh, you know what? We really didn't get along. Good point. And they just stayed together for the sake of, again, the children. And they had a roof over their head. They invested a lot in their home and and their relationship. And they don't want to tear it apart. So they maintain it, although it's not working, until it becomes unbearable. And then they recognize the fact that this just isn't what I hoped this marriage would be. 
And no matter what best effort I've put forward, it's just not going to happen. That was Dr. Sam Claridge on 21st Century Divorce. And that brings us to the end of this week's edition of the Zoomer Weekend Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Thanks for joining me today. Be sure to come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. Zoomer Weekend Review is produced by Zeev Hadi and Paul Thomas. Technical producer, Justin Eacock. Executive producer, Moses Nimer. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.